I must say it's been a, a real joy and a privilege to share the last few weeks with you. Uh, my name is Pastor Jeff Schultz, and uh, I uh, am on sabbatical from my church in North Olmstead, where I've served the last 20-some years. And of course, on sabbatical, you, you make a few goals, a, a few goals uh, to, to, to try to accomplish during, uh, during the month. And so uh, a couple of those, you know, read, read a couple of books and be able, been able to do that. Uh, also wanted to uh, uh, make some plans for the fall. Check, did that. One of my goals was to lose 10 pounds this month, and uh, that's gone pretty well. I only have about 13 to go, so I'm really, really going to keep, keep charging there. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, we leave for Texas tomorrow morning uh, with Mary's folks. Uh, Mary's sister is uh, living in Fort Worth, Texas, and she is in the uh, final stages of life due to cancer. And so uh, we'd appreciate your prayers as we make our way down there and to spend some time uh, with her. Uh, we recognize this probably may very well be the last time that we see her, at least on this earth. And I'm just reminded this morning of how glad I am for that resurrection power that we've sung about today, knowing that the next time we may see her, she will be uh, much, much in a much better place, and we rejoice in that. I'm going to invite you to turn with me, please, to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 15, as we kind of conclude this uh, series of messages that I've been able to share with you on stories that Jesus told. Luke chapter 15, and uh, we're going to look at one of the, the great parables that Jesus told. I'm going to invite you to stand as we, as we look at this chapter together. We're going to start here with verse 1 and read through verse 2, and then we're going to skip down to verse 25, right in the middle of the parable of the uh, prodigal son. Listen to the word of the Lord. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. And then down to verse 25, like I said, right in the middle of this most famous of stories that Jesus told. It says, meanwhile... The older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants, what was going on? Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And his father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. May God add his blessing to that word. You can be seated. Luke chapter 15 may be my favorite chapter in all of Scripture. 
We uh, learned last week about the, the rule of three, if you were with us. The rule of three is the way that, that sometimes a story is set up where, where you have something happen. It might be random, but, but something happens. And then the second thing, something happens that's very similar. It begins to establish a pattern. And so there's an expectation. But by the time you get to the, the third incident, you realize and you have something in mind about how this is going to work out. But the rule of three always suggests that by the time you get to the third incident, there's a twist. Simply like a, a horse comes to a progressive field and he trots over to the manager of the baseball team and the horse asks for a tryout. Well, of course, the manager is just stunned by the fact that this horse is even talking to him, and it says, well, why not? Let's give it, a, give it a go. And so they go out, and they have some batting practice, and wouldn't you know it, the horse picks up the bat, and one after the other, balls are hit, going out of the park, just, just amazing. Well, then the, the manager says, well, let's, let's try some fielding practice. Well, they put the horse out on shortstop, and wouldn't you know it, he's like a vacuum cleaner. Everything he fields is just perfect, amazing again. Well, the manager says, well, can you pitch? And the horse says, well, who ever heard of a horse pitching? <laughs> now, on the west side, we think that's funny, okay? <laughs> I don't know about you, but we, we love jokes like that. So, uh... Now, Jesus, if you have to explain it, it's just not as funny, okay? <laughs> Jesus tells three stories in this chapter, three very critical and beautiful stories. The first story, of course, is about a lost sheep, and he says the shepherd leaves 99 sheep to go after the lost one, and when he finds that lost sheep, he celebrates. And then Jesus talks about a woman who loses one of her 10 coins. She messes the whole house. She turns it upside down to find that lost coin, and when she finds it, she throws a celebration and then Jesus tells us what is probably the most famous, probably the most loved short story ever told, the story of the prodigal son, about a, a boy, a son who, who leaves. And if you've been listening, we know how this is going to end with a celebration. But with the rule of three, there's always a twist. So may I just tell you this story one more time? Jesus said a certain man had two sons. One day, the, the youngest son, restless and eager to take on life, asked his father to give him his inheritance early so that, that he might do as he wished. And we ought to note here that, that when the son received his inheritance, the scripture says, and he divided his wealth between them both. And so that, by the way, meant that, that most likely the younger son would have received one-third of the inheritance, and the older one, he would have received a double portion, two-thirds of what the father owned. And so the younger son took off to a far country. His pockets full, his desires burning, he added off to that far land. And we can only imagine how he spent his time, but we know that he was caught up in wild, self-destructive behavior, so much so that not too long before he lost all his money and with it all his friends, and he ends up eating slop with swine just to stay alive. And finally, it's in the pig pen, the Bible says, that he came to his senses, the man woke up, he got it, and he realized, 
My father treats the servants better than this hell I find myself in. And so he makes the decision to return home, hoping that his father will receive him as a servant. And of course, then we see that amazing picture, one of the most beautiful in scripture. The father is waiting, and when he sees his son in a distance, he begins to run towards his son. And he celebrates. He not only restores him to the place in his household, he decides to have the biggest of all parties. And so the fattened calf is slaughtered. They have a meal with all the trimmings. And when the party is at its height, there's music and laughter and dancing all around. We hear of the older brother. And the older brother comes in and he's, he's had a long, hard day. This is a guy who has worked hard all day, and I'm sure he's tired, but I want you to notice that this guy is a guy who has his act together. He did what you're supposed to do. He worked hard. He paid his bills, put in his time, and was trying to make himself better. And I suspect that after a long, hard day, he was just ready to call it a day. When suddenly he arrives home and he hears the unfamiliar sound of this party going on. Now he's heard some sounds from that house before. He's heard the weeping of his father. And so this is strange. This is unusual. And he learns the reason. His brother has come home. And his dad is throwing a celebration. Well, the older brother. How how do you think he responds. Well, the Bible is clear. Jesus says he's not overjoyed. He's angry. He's not happy to go in and see his brother. He's upset and and indignant that this bad seed has come home. And so his father hears that the son has come back, and so he comes out of the celebration, and he says, son, come on in. Your brother's home. Isn't this wonderful? And the older brother just stands there. No, I'm not going in. Look, he said, I've worked my fingers to the bone. I've been a slave for you all these years, done whatever you've asked me to do. And what have you done for me? I couldn't even have a dinner with a goat, much less a fattened calf. And then this son of yours comes home, this fellow who wasted all your money on prostitutes, and what do you do? You throw him a party with a prize calf. I am not going to this party. And the father answers, son, my son, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours, but it's time for a celebration Because this brother of yours was dead and is now alive. He was lost, but now he's been found. Now, I want you to notice something here. Notice that Jesus doesn't finish the story. He lets us finish it. He lets those who are listening to him, and think about the group that's listening Because we have to answer the question, what's the older brother going to do? Did the older brother go in or did he go to bed? 
Would he go to the party and celebrate, or would he head toward his pillow and sulk? Now, we, of course, know why Jesus does this. At the beginning of this chapter, it becomes clear. We are told that tax collectors and sinners are eagerly listening to him. But then in verse 2, we see a contrast. We're told that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are there too, and they're grumbling. He eats with people like them. And so you see sinners and Pharisees and tax collectors and religious leaders of the law all listening to Jesus. And so we're confronted, and I think we're confronted in a unique way even this morning as we gather together in this sanctuary, this place of religion, because I want to ask you, what will the older brother do, religious people? I got to be honest with you, as as I've thought about this over the years, many of us, I think, might have a lot of sympathy for this older brother, Perhaps even we agree somewhat with his perspective. Because as I've been in ministry over these years, most of us, I realize, who are in the church, we're here this morning, are probably a whole lot more like the older brother who stayed at home than we are the younger brother who went to a distant country. Some in this room can identify with the lifestyle of the younger brother, Some of you went way afield, and I suspect that many, some in this room maybe maybe did some crazy things, but I also know that there are a whole lot of us in this room, we never went off to the far country. You never got involved deeply in the evils of, of a worldly, worldly lifestyle. Many of us in this room, you've been conscientious. You've lived a pretty good life. You've tried to make good decisions. You rejected or you respected your parents. You you lived obediently to them. You've lived decently. You've paid your taxes. You work hard. You appreciate and honor your spouse. You obey the law. Generally speaking, you're a pretty moral person. And, And perhaps even many of us in this room have worked in the Father's fields. We've served in the church. We were at VBS this week. We helped out with the kids. We paid the cost. We weren't afraid to get our hands dirty. We went on a mission trip to Jamaica. We tithed. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. And so when we, we realize that this, with this older brother, we look at him and we say, boy, that guy played by the rules. He did everything right. Maybe he is right. Maybe this morning... I just want to ask you, and I want to look deep in my own heart, how much of the older brother do I have in me? Because you see, Jesus makes it clear there's something wrong in him. Even though it looks like he's all right. Because if he doesn't make a change, he's not going to the party. And so in thinking about this passage and considering my own life, and maybe you will consider your own too, I want to suggest to you very quickly three things that I see wrong in this older brother. Three things that could keep him from the celebration. Are you with me? You ready for these? Let's hear them out. One of the things that jumps out to me as I look at this passage is that if you look carefully, you get the sense that the older brother envies his younger brother. His older brother envies. The, the, 
the older brother envies this sinner. Now, the most obvious way we see this is how he envied the fact that his dad had killed the fattened calf. He thought the calf should have been killed for him. He thought he deserved what the sinner had been given. But that isn't all the envy, I think, comes, that comes to the surface. If you study this passage, you notice that the only time that we hear that the prodigal son, the younger brother, spent time with prostitutes is from whom? The older brother makes that announcement. Now, how did he know that? I don't think he did. I think what happened was he laid there at night after he'd worked his fingers to the bone and he had sweat and he's tired. He's laying there and I wonder what my brother's doing. He's having a good old time and he's doing this and he's doing that. He's spending that time. And I just wonder sometimes, deep inside, if he didn't wish, boy, I wish I was there. Let me just illustrate for a moment what I'm trying to say. I had a roommate my last two years at Asbury College. Now, Asbury's a Christian school. A lot of ministers and missionaries come out of that place, and a lot of young people come out for some form of ministry. And my roommate was a man named John, and he was about six years older, six years older than I was. He was a rather short guy, but before he became a Christian, he lived what I think you could say was a promiscuous lifestyle. And every once in a while, a lot of times at our prompting, other guys on the floor would get together and we would ask John to talk about his life before Christ. The guys on the hall would, would get together and just want to listen to John's testimony. And I mean, this guy had been around the block a few times. He'd tell us about his drinking and what he smoked and most especially the numerous Women he had been with, sometimes he didn't even know their names. It was hard to believe what he had done. Now, for a choir boy like me, I, I hadn't kissed a girl until I was a freshman in college. And I, by the way, I'll never forget that Mary and I were on the steps of the, uh, the uh, right in front of the library, and finally it happened. I got the courage, and I, I kissed her. And it wasn't anything passionate, it was more like a peck, but suddenly just this idea of the exchange of saliva kind of got to me, and I got a little sick to my stomach, and, and I said, Mary, I got to go back to the dorm, I'm, I'm sorry. Now, don't worry, I got better at it, okay, I really did. But there we were, we'd listen to John and we'd act indignant and we'd just act so surprised and we'd say, thank you God that you kept us from all of that. But I think there were guys like me who often thought, you know, that really doesn't sound all that bad. Now I believe that none of us in that room at that time would have wanted to live that kind of lifestyle, but folks, you know, I think a lot of good people are like that. Sometimes we were willing to do the right things, but deep inside, we long for the bad things. Oh, there are various reasons we don't do the bad things. Sometimes I think we don't do certain things, not because we really think they're bad, but because we're afraid of the consequences. You know, when Jesus comes into our lives, 
It sometimes means that our hearts still have to have to conform, and it's going to take time, and that time to discover that the Christian life is really good, the Christian life is really blessed. But instead, sometimes as we walk in this religiosity, we let our religion become lifeless and cold and legalistic, and that was the principle that was going on in the older brother. And the truth was, you might look at him, and what you would see on the outside was a moral man, an industrious, thrifty guy that that everybody should admire, but if you could see his heart, you'd see it was black. He didn't do the bad things, but inside he wanted to. He envied the sinner. And Jesus here remarkably shows us that that heart attitude keeps you from celebrating grace. Because you because you don't know how much you need it. He really believed that he deserved grace. Now, no one deserves grace. It's always a gift. Now, the second thing I want you to know, the second thing that I want you to know about this older brother is that he never really discovered the joy of being home. He took for granted that daily he was living with his father and what a blessing that was. You know, at home he was rich. He had wealth and comfort and prestige and something to live for. And best of all, he had the privilege of working with his father who we know was loving and compassionate and a man of character and concern for the well-being of his children. But what do we see him do here? He asks his father, this is amazing, what have you ever given to me? He had been given it all, and he decides, I want more. Are are we listening, church? We are at home, right here this morning, We've been been here maybe for a long time. And I think it's so easy to perhaps just forget what a blessing it is to be in the Father's family. And sometimes we as Christians act if we are all of, of all people to be most pitied. And we walk around with this business of religion. We, we don't enjoy it. We have this sour face. We talk about how bad the world is, how bad our lives are. We hold grudges against others. We talk about others in a, in a negative sense. There's no joy, only burdens. And when it comes to the privilege of what we've done here this morning of worshiping, well, if there's anything else that comes up, we'll take that over being together on Sunday. And the truth is, we're just like those Pharisees, always finding something to grumble about. And I gotta tell you, I gotta watch it there. Sometimes when I'm around other pastors, we get together and I hear it often, how ministry is hard and it can be, and how the church is doing this or that in a negative manner, and sometimes the church doesn't get it right. But one of the things that I want you to know is I love my church and I am so glad God called me into to ministry. God called me to be a pastor. 
I'm going to tell you that one of the things, and I'm still trying to learn this, but when you have God and nothing else, you have everything. And when you have everything, but you don't have God, listen, folks, you've got nothing. What has God withheld from us? He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us the church. He's given us the resurrection. He's given us Jesus Christ who died on the cross. Our sins are forgiven. We have the hope of heaven. What more could we ask? Amen. Amen. But you see, when we're surrounded by blessings, but we don't see them, we don't acknowledge them, we're just as poor as the person who's not blessed at all. God, forgive your church for being at home and not enjoying it. The brother, he never learned what it was to be at home. Yet the younger son, he discovered what it was to be like at home. That's why he returned. And we know he wasted his life away. He wasted his wealth. But for those of us who are at home, who give ourselves to working without joy, to having religion, without a relationship with Jesus, going after every material thing that we can get our hands on and forgetting that that God has blessed us, that we might be able to bless somebody else, we are wasting our lives away too. And we don't realize it. And so I ask you this morning, how much of that older brother do you have in you? Maybe we've been a Christian for a long time. We've been home. But do we see how blessed we are to be living with the Father? And that brings me to my last point. And and to be honest with you, this might be the most disturbing part of it all for this older brother. Because in all those years he had been with his father, He still didn't know him. For years, he'd seen his dad in action. He'd seen his father's compassion and character and love and tenderness. Yet he still didn't understand his father. He still didn't know his dad. You see this in the conversation, of course, that they had. The older brother couldn't understand why the father would let his son come home or why he would celebrate his return. Do you you catch the, 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 the dynamic there? He keeps saying, your son, your son. And the father returns and he says, listen, he's your brother. And he doesn't get it. And so who is the prodigal in this parable? It's not the one with the shady past. It's the one who stays outside. It's the one who says, I'm not going to the party. It's the one who refuses to forgive the dead one, the lost one, who isn't going to the party. Is there anyone here today, you've been home for quite some time, but spiritually speaking, you're in a distant country. You haven't celebrated for a long time because you've never really developed the Father's heart. Don't miss the party. You know, there are three sons 
in this parable. Did you catch that? Of course, you have the younger son. He goes away and he returns and he's forgiven and there's a celebration. There is the older son, the older son who refuses to forgive and he's left out of the party. He's making the decision, I'm not sure I want to go. But there's one more. The Son of God tells the story. And Jesus is telling us, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. And he left his father's home to come to this earth to die for every one of us in this room, even the prodigals who stay home. Why? Because he has the father's heart. Do you? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the privilege that I have to share this amazing story and how, Lord, when we really reflect on the truth of this message, we recognize that perhaps we're home by every measure except one. We don't have your heart. So God, this week, these moments, we pray that you would shine a spotlight on our hearts. And where there is blackness and bitterness and unforgiveness, when we look at our lives and we find that, Lord, we are despondent instead of celebrating, where, Lord, we are always down instead of reflecting on what you have given us, oh, God, forgive us and change our hearts because Jesus had your heart. Make us more like him. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.